The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Previously on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Previously? Darlene, this is our first show, and I am so pumped about Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I'm Monica McNutt, your host. We're going to talk the game of basketball on all levels, all sides. We're covering the entire round ball. This week on the show, we're joined by broadcaster extraordinaire Lisa Byington, who was all up in the NCAA tournament for CBS and Turner and in the virtual reality world. Then we've got college basketball writer Myron Metcalf, my guy of ESPN. We're talking nuances of the tournament, things we liked, things we didn't, things we might want to see changed. And then every week, a piece of my heart is attached to the show. There would be no Monica in basketball without the influence of my pops. So my dad will join us um, to wrap things up. And this week, of course, we're talking NCAA tournament. So stick around. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is coming at you. Take it away, darling. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Wee, yes, I do love a good three in transition. Uh, so much is happening in the hoops world. We got Magic Johnson shaking up La La Land. Uh, but front and center for me personally is still the NCAA tournament. Congratulations to the Baylor Lady Bears and to the University of Virginia Cavaliers. Um, we're going to jump right into that conversation because I think there's so much to talk about. Let's run it. Well, let the conversations begin here on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I am so pumped to have broadcaster extraordinaire Lisa Byington. According to her Twitter bio, folks, she's a broadcaster of many sports in many roles, and it is so true. She does it all so well. But I was fortunate enough to work alongside Lisa this year on FS1. But you might have caught her during the NCAA tournament in virtual reality. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Monica. How are you? Congratulations on your podcast. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks for joining me because, one, I want you to just tell me about this VR thing that you were doing. I saw you moving and shaking on the court at the Final Four in D.C. Girl, you was popping. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it starts, you know, the coverage starts in that that first round where we actually do, like, stuff for CBS and Turner. Um, I was in Utah covering that for TV for the first round. And then, uh, and then hopped over to the virtual reality side in the the regionals in the final four. And the the virtual reality side is something that the NCAA tournament has done in in partnership with Intel and Turner Sports, and they've done it really for the last, I think this is year number three that they've done it. And and really, they're trying to tap into a, a an out or a different way or an alternative way to broadcast sports and and virtual reality they feel like is a world to tap into they've done it with the nba they've done it with the super bowl they've done it with golf and really it's it's you know you you pick up your virtual reality headset at a best buy or any other electronic store you put it on you you watch the broadcast but what's different is you actually feel like you're there on the court you feel like you're guarding zion williamson or um you know like you can see you can feel the emotion of virginia uh celebrating because you feel like you're literally right there 
And the difference in watching a game virtual reality versus on your TV is you get to pick the camera angles. If you want to watch from one side of the or the basket, you can. If you want to watch from, you know, a traditional sort of uh, middle of the court camera angle, you can. If you want to look to your left, you can. If you want to look up and look at the scoreboard, you can. If you want to look to the right at some of the benches, you can. So really, it puts kind of the control in the viewer, which is much different than sitting on your couch and watching TV. That is super dope. I may have been sold only because of, well, not only, but partly because it's you. You went from sideline for traditional TV and then you were play-by-play for VR? Yeah, so I did sidelines for CBS and Turner uh, for the first six games at the Salt Lake City uh, site. Um, and so we actually were there with Auburn, sent Auburn off into the regionals. And uh, it, it was it was great to be there because, you know, that's a story where they almost lost in the first game of the tournament. And it just kind of shows how fleeting and experience can be in the NCAA tournament. But, yeah, sidelines for that. And then crossed over and did some play-by-play for virtual reality, worked with Steve Lavin. He was the analyst. And then the Final Four um, hopped back over to the sideline role for virtual reality and worked with Spiro Didas and Steve Smith, who was the analyst there. So I got to work with a lot of great people through those three weeks of the NCAA tournament. Yes, you did. And you were right where you belonged in great company. All right, but let's talk a little bit more about Auburn and just the tournament in general, Lisa. You obviously had one of the best seats in the house. Got an opportunity to go behind the scenes with the teams and the coaches and such. Of the teams that landed in the Final Four, like, did you see Auburn maybe emerging because you got to see them in those first rounds? Or, like, who would you – or who surprised you the least, I guess, in the Final Four? Who surprised me the least? Uh, I can tell you well, – oh, that's a good question. Um, probably Virginia, I guess. Um, really? Okay. Yeah, I felt like – well, I mean, you think about what they did. Like, let's not forget they played one of the best conferences – in the country and and uh, won the regular season and they're a number one seed. So just because they don't play the flash and dash kind of basketball, I think they got maybe underrepresented um, in, in terms of how good of a basketball team they are. Uh, let's, let's forget about the, the, the game that they lost last year. That doesn't, that doesn't project into what kind of team they were this year. Um, I will say this, like I was, I was impressed with Auburn um, and, and really liked their story. They were one of the hottest teams going into the NCAA tournament in terms of winning the SEC conference tournament. Um, I was there in Utah when they really took it to a Kansas team. And I had a chance to talk to Bill Self after the game and doing a, a, an interview with him after they lost. And he just said they were so fast. And he said, you can't project that how fast they are in their speed when you're mm-hmm. watching it on film. I was impressed with Auburn, and I was also impressed with the Texas Tech team that I didn't know much about until I had to cover them in the Final Four. Yeah, so that was going to be the next one I was going to ask you about because I, you, and you were in D.C. too, I thought Michigan State looked really strong heading into that one. I, I personally was very impressed with Cassius Winston in person. I mean, you hear Izzo talking about how he looks more like he belongs in the choir as opposed to being – a top point guard in the nation, but like in person, you really kind of got it differently in terms of his cadence and his dictation, I guess you would say for that Michigan state squad. But I was impressed with Texas tech and the way they handled that one. Yeah. And the thing is, is Tom is those teams. They're, they're what they're supposed to be tough. They rebound, they play defense and Texas tech was a near image of that. And a better, frankly, a better mirror image of what Michigan state is used to being, you know, they were tough 
Um, they rebound, they obviously defend, and that's kind of been their mojo the last couple of years since Chris Beard has been the head coach there. And, and I love the way that Chris Beard kind of approached that Michigan State game. Um, I think he even told Tracy Wilson at halftime that, you know, we have to match Michigan State's toughness. Maybe not necessarily be tougher than them, but if we match their toughness, we'll be just fine. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, they just, they almost took Michigan State's game against them and uh, and was better at it, frankly. Yeah, it was, it was an epic Final Four for sure. I agree with you 100%. I guess for you, Lisa, though, like, and before we switch gears, just a little bit to the women's Final Four, because shout out to us as former women's basketball standouts. Um, I guess what was kind of the best part of it for you in terms of covering the final four? You know, the best part for me actually was at the end, um, you know, I, we, uh, with our virtual reality broadcast, we got a couple of post-game interviews. And so I, I was able to talk to Kyle Guy and he, he just gave me the line of, look, if we didn't lose last year, we wouldn't have won this year. And I thought that that was really a powerful perspective. And, and just in terms of the Virginia story and flipping the script, it was amazing to see. Um, the other moment that we got, and, and actually it's, 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 the only, it's the only moment that exists out there. So, you, you know, you should, I encourage you, because we have archived stuff with virtual reality, is uh, Dick Bennett was on the court in the post game, and he was being surrounded by uh, national media and, and local media and talking to him. And I just kind of waited my turn. And when they were all done, I walked up to him and I said, hey, can you do a post game interview with us? And he said, sure. And while we're doing the interview, I hear in my ear, the producer says, hey, just so you know, Tony Bennett is climbing up the ladder right now to cut down the net. And so while I'm interviewing Dick Bennett, I said, hey, let's turn around and I want you to watch your son cut down the net for the first time and and take us through your emotions and uh so that was a really powerful moment to be able oh to my sit gosh with dick bennett and watch son cut down the net and have him narrate it so i would encourage everyone if you have access to virtual reality to go back and and check that out because we have certainly clipped that off and you know, we're, we're looking to maybe hopefully <laughs> try to surface that a little bit and share it with some more viewers and stuff. But that was probably uh, the, the best moment of the weekend. It was pretty cool. Oh, my gosh, Lisa. We definitely need to get that one out on mainstream. First of all, shout out to you for having the wherewithal to turn around and your producer and to capture that moment. Because I might have just been so giddy about having Dick Bennett in front of me. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> all right so I, the moment it's all part of reporting right it, yeah that's that's very true and this is why i said you belonged with all those folks that you were with that is so dope lisa i mean i saw your instagram of course and was like stalking you but like that moment wasn't on your instagram that's super cool what did you kind of take away from that because sure the game is about x's and o's winning and virginia overcomes tremendous adversity but to be standing there with your your father is standing there and watching it like what kind of do you draw from that beyond basketball you know, I just, well, I, I have a special relationship with my dad. My dad was my high school coach and one of the reasons why I love basketball so much. And so I I love the, the father-son or father-daughter or even, you know, um, the impact that moms can have on, on their children. And so it just, it, it wasn't always just what he said to me, what Dick Bennett was saying to me. It was looking at the emotion in his eyes. It was looking at sometimes he was just speechless. And he yeah. would just stand there and, and watch his son. So sometimes it's not the words that came out. It's just the emotion that you can see. And, and sometimes you don't have to say anything to mean something. And, and to watch him, watch his son do that was, was incredible because he is, you know, the reason why Tony Bennett is 
the coach and and Tony knew basketball and Tony followed his dad and got and, it got and it that's that's of so basketball with him yeah yeah that is so special I love that but speaking of parents and influences on the other side in beautiful Tampa I must say that Tampa was a wonderful destination I think we went up to Minneapolis just because we were able to put on swimsuits <laughs> um Kalani Brown's mom was huge in terms of why she ultimately ended up with Kim Mulkey at Baylor. Baylor wins a national title, Kim Mulkey's third. Um, Kalani's Brown's mom was actually recruited to Louisiana Tech by Kim Mulkey as well. Um, I guess, Lisa, and you, we've had our hands in the women's game all season. Parody. Do you think that we saw parody play out on the women's side when it came down to the final four? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that the favorites still made it to the final four. Um, you know, I still would like a little bit more unpredictability on the women's side in terms of, you know, not as many number one seeds advancing that far that you get on the men's side. I think that there's still movement that we can make on the women's side in that way. But um, yeah, I mean, when you when you think about a UConn that doesn't go undefeated all the way into the Final Four and doesn't win the national championship in the last few years, um, I think you start there in terms of parity. Um, but, you know, I still feel like we have some of the, the, the big names and, and the big programs, and kudos to them. It's not necessarily a, a, a hit on them. I just like – I would still like to see the middle of the pack. And when I say middle of the pack, I mean – maybe, uh, you know, teams eight through 15 um, to be able to consistently try to make it to the final four as well. Cause I think we still see that more consistently on the men's side than we do the women's side. Gotcha. I would agree with you on that one. And I was having this conversation the other day with stadium and I tell me if you think I'm reaching, I think we may be getting to a window or the place in the women's game where the back to back to back is I don't, I don't know if it's gone, but I think it's going to be more challenging. Like, when I look at the Final Four, if I had to pick a favorite now, it would probably be Oregon. Now, I, granted, I have not looked closely at UConn's incoming freshman class, but Oregon's going to return that core, essentially. Um, so I, like, I was telling my friend, like, let's put a bet on it. I don't know if UConn gets two out of the next four. You know what I mean? Like, what, would you, what do you think? What do I think about the favorites for the years to come? Yeah, like, do you think that we're still in back-to-back-to-back streaks on the national championships on the women's side? Uh, what do you mean back-to-back-to-back? Like, UConn has won three in a row, or when Notre Dame won, won two in a row? Oh, uh, yeah, but, um, I mean, you know, we're, we're not going to have the – are you saying that Baylor's going to win? I don't think Baylor's going to go back-to-back, back, no. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess I really haven't thought of it through that far. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's like if you if you think about, um, you know, teams and franchises that become dynasties and stuff, I mean, that's also something to embrace too, right? So yeah, um, <laughs> the, the fact that if Baylor repeats, I don't think that that's necessarily not something to, to celebrate. Um, I just, you know, I just, I remember when, you know, like a, a Washington, for example, a few years ago, got to the Final Four. Um, I just like to see some of those those other teams that that aren't the number one seeds and not and also maybe not the number two seeds. I like to see like some of the threes, the fours, the five seeds kind of, you know, sneak in there. That's 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 what I'm saying is um, gotcha. I, I don't have a problem with with repeat champions. Um, I just like to see a little bit more of a mix in the Final Four. 
Got you. Got you. Well, we also want to make sure we shout out the WNBA as their draft is going to be held on Wednesday. Congratulations to all of those young women taking their game to the next level. And I know when you wrap up with softball and spring sports, hopefully we bump into each other on the WNBA circuit as well. But Lisa, in the inaugural episode of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, the thing, I guess I'll call this my thing, is going to be turning the title into the old family dinner topic that used to be known as Rose and a Thorn, right? So just over your March or over your season, I guess we can stick with the NCAA tournament. I want something that stands out to you as a bucket, something that maybe isn't innately all positive, but has some silver lining that would be a board and the ability to rebound and then a block. Like what was maybe a flop um, over the course of the NCAA tournament or something that you had an opportunity to see. So give me your bucket board and block Hmm. From March. Uh, my bucket, yeah, my bucket. Uh, I, I told you about Dick Bennett, but I can pull up another memory. Um, when I was uh, when I was covering the first round in Utah, um, I covered Baylor, and there's a there's a kid on Baylor's team. His, his name is Mark Vital. He's a uh, he's an undersized power forward, and um, I had locker room access and was talking to him, and he talked about how his dad was old school. So old school, meaning that he, he loved like the Dennis Rodmans, he loved Charles Barkley, he loved all those players. And uh, Mark Vidal had said, you know, my, my idol basically is Charles Barkley because I look at my game like his game. You know, I'm an undersized small forward kind of thing. And um, one day I would just love to meet Charles Barkley. And I said, well, I don't know if I can set that up, but I can certainly take a video of you on my phone. And you can say whatever you want to Charles Barkley and I'll, I'll make sure that he sees it. And so he gave this tribute and it was so heartfelt. And it, it lasted maybe like 10 to 15 seconds. And it just talked about why he looked up to him and that sort of thing. And I passed it on. And, and uh, Turner, um, it, it was either on the Turner broadcast or the CBS broadcast. And they, they showed it to Charles. I didn't, I didn't shoot it thinking that they would show it on TV. But they ended up showing it to Charles on the set there. And I went back and watched it and to watch Charles' reaction. And then I know Mark Vidal uh, found out later and, and got really emotional about it. And so that was really kind of cool. So that would be one of my buckets, I guess. That's in, an awesome bucket. The tournament. Yeah. Um, so a rebound. So silver lining, probably the Virginia thing and, and the Virginia story in terms of the silver lining and flipping the script. And what I like in particular about that story is the fact that Kyle Guy was so transparent about dealing with anxiety and, you know, in, in, in terms of trying to seek out help. I think it's really unusual to hear about male athletes being so transparent in that way. And then to see him talk about how hard his offseason was after they lost to UNBC and the things that he had to go through. And then to see him step to the free throw line and he had to hit three free throws to get him past, to, to see him go to the other side of, of the anxiety and, and handling adversity for me, watching him step to the line in the national semifinal and come out so successful, um, I think was, was a great sort of, uh, what do you call it, the rebound? Is that the rebound? Yep, the board. The board. The board. The board. Sorry, I got to keep the bees <laughs> consistent, right? Um, the block, I guess I'd have to go back to either a, a couple of teams when I go back again to the first round when I, when I covered Kansas men. They had such a rough season, you know, for the first time in, uh, what, 14 years. They didn't win the regular season in the Big 12. They had, you know, a roster that was depleted for several reasons because of suspensions and injuries and that sort of thing. And they just – they never really looked like themselves. Um, and, and the other team that 
unfortunate. Um, they lost, you know, early in the tournament with Syracuse, and they lost one of their seniors to suspension, and and Frank Howard, and uh, and it's just it was such a disappointing story for me, especially to lose one of their key players, and that was a senior, you know, and so he, uh, for whatever reason, uh, was not able to to play in the final game and his final NCAA tournament and so uh so to me that was that was disappointing to see coming out of the Utah site got it I like it Lisa you look girl I know you're a pro but you're a pro's pro look at that on TNT broadcast with your iPhone video I love it (laughs) well yeah that wasn't I didn't do it for that I did it just to get it to Charles because I knew how much it would mean to him better right like that wasn't your intention but it also turned out to be a moment that the nation got to share in a way like girl you just I love it Lisa I I love it (laughs) well congrats again on your podcast uh this is great and uh I'd love to see you kind of dipping into different areas it's awesome to see I'm super excited thank you so much and thank you for your time today have a great call all right thanks Monica all right talk to you soon Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is one of four weekly shows from Pure Hoops Media. I'll be here every Thursday sharing my perspective and mixing it up with cool basketball people. The Mike Wise Show drops every Monday, and our resident wise-ass shares stories with some of the biggest names in the sport. Our Wednesday show is Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stenko. Adam's in the Bay Area, and Noah is in the Big Apple. And between them, they have NBA Nation covered. Finally. We have the Pure Hoops Podcast each Friday with three-time NBA champion BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. BJ's takes are definitely thought-provoking and sometimes off the wall, but he usually turns out to be right. Please subscribe, download, listen, rate, review, and most of all, enjoy. Welcome back to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I'm Monica McNutt and pumped about our next guest. My guy, Myron Metcalf, college basketball for ESPN. Um, Myron, hey, dude. How you doing? I, I'm honored to uh, to be a guest. I, re- I really appreciate it. I appreciate you making the time because I know you're a man on the move. Lots of things to cover. <laughs> but let's, we're talking NCAA tournament. But before I let you go, I will ask you your thoughts on one Magic Johnson's departure from the Lakers. <laughs> but before we get to that, first of all, where did you start? Like, where, what sites were you at for the tournament? So it's interesting. In past years, I would bounce around, right? I go like conference tournament, first round somewhere, and then I end up uh, in the regional and then the final four. So actually, in the past couple of years, uh, they posted us up in Bristol for two weeks. So I, I basically spent two weeks in Bristol um, for the conference tournament, championship week, and then the first and second rounds. So I always want to be on site, like as a reporter. That's kind of like you know what gets you going, like being there in the middle of the action. But it's actually cool to see every single game. You know, they got like 20 TVs. So you're watching every game. You never miss any action. So I actually appreciate uh, that. But then I went to Anaheim for the uh, Sweet 16. So I had Gonzaga, Florida State, Texas Tech and Michigan out there. Uh, And and obviously, there are some good games there. And then obviously, I ended at the Final Four, which is uh, Minneapolis, where I live. Sweet. Oh, nice. You got to be home for that one. All right. So then take me to Anaheim. When you saw Chris Beard and Texas Tech, the Red Raiders, did you at that point say, mm, this team could get to the Final Four? Or yeah, did you know ahead of time? No, I mean, it felt different, Monica. Like, you know, you see a team on TV and you see the numbers and you kind of have a sense of who they are and what they're about. And you think you know their flaws, right? 
when I saw Texas Tech against Michigan, Michigan scored 16 points in the first half in their Sweet 16 game. I just noticed how strong they were. Like, like all those dudes drink protein shakes. Like, you can just see, like, <laughs> those are a bunch of real strong, grown men-looking dudes. And then they just were relentless on defense. Like, the way they switched, you couldn't breathe. And this is Michigan, a team coached by John Beeline, who I think is one of the better coaches in the country. And you could just see the frustration that Michigan had. I mean, Michigan missed its first 18 three-point attempts, right? I, I mean, it, it was like nothing you'd ever seen. So when I saw that, I was like, wow, they might be the real deal. And then when they went toe-to-toe with Gonzaga in the Elite Eight, I just felt like if they can stop the best offense in America and they can tussle with them, they can take anybody. So after I saw them in Anaheim, I, I was convinced they could win it all, and they obviously had their chance on Monday night. Sure did. I mean, I'm not going to lie. They definitely snuck up on me to a degree. I actually had Gonzaga and Virginia in my title game. So when they really? took care of Gonzaga, I was like, oh, yeah, I, Myron, give me some credit on putting Virginia in my title game. Hey, Nobody smart. wants you, to give me credit for that. I'll give you 100% credit because a lot of people did. I mean, you understand why they wouldn't, though, right? Because, like, what happened last year. I, I absolutely they, understand why they wouldn't. And I think yeah. – and I'm not even going to act like that was a big basketball X and O's choice on my decision. Part of it for me was I really felt like they were a team of destiny. And I did think, unlike years past – I don't know if they were looser or lighter, having already been on the wrong side of history. Um, not going to lie, though, that first round game made me hella nervous. Um, <laughs> but I just yeah. I felt like like Kyle Guy had a bounce about him, like Ty Jerome, like DeAndre Hunter was healthy. I just I, I saw that. Ha- I mean, I, I I didn't see. I actually had Gonzaga winning. I will tell yeah. I will tell the truth there. But I felt like they this was the year that they would get they would break through. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. Like, can it get any worse for a team? Right. Like you just lost mm-hmm. to a 16 seed. And my thing with everybody talking about UMBC, it's not just that they lost to a 16 seed. They lost by 20. Like, they right. got punched in the mouth, right? Like, so there's really no coming back from that. Like, when you've been been embarrassed to that degree, I just felt like they, they seemed like a team that was free. Like, what else can you say about us? We've heard mm-hmm. it all. Like, you can talk about us all year, fine. So I think that, the way they processed it, was helpful. But Tony Bennett, you know, talking to him this week, like he did a lot to try to keep his team in the moment. You know, he brought in like motivational speakers. And I mean, he was big Mm -hmm. on trying to not repeat the past and not think about the past. And I think that helped too. Yeah, it it definitely helped. I saw, I think it was, it was either Guy or Jerome. One of them were talking about, you know, the team watched Ted talks to get over it. But I think this year like if we were going to draw a big life lesson, right, from the NCAA tournament, I would say it would be the perseverance of Virginia. And I think most people would be would agree. But I think the strength of it is, like you said, in the nuances and in the details of how they did it. Like they didn't just roll the ball out and say, forget it, we're moving on. Like they had yeah. to sit with it, own it, like grow from it, grow through it, all of that. And that's the part that particularly my peers, are you technically a millennial, Myron? I don't want to get too personal about your age. But anyway. You know, um, I don't know. No, I need to know. I need to know if I'm a millennial because, okay, I turned 36 in June. So I'm an yes, 83 baby. I'm an 80s kid. But I don't feel like it. You you're know, like, you're like, like the what's the next generation? What's, the, what's above the millennial? Ne- um, I don't know. I forgot. And my friend and I did I'm this like millennial light, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. You would be like I'm on the cusp, millennial. but technically you yeah. are. Yeah, technically yeah. you are. Um, but I think them kind of owning the discomfort is really what makes their run so special. But now we get to the fortuitous bounces, we'll call it, that they kind of <laughs> got once they got from the Elite Eight through. 
first of all, I definitely thought Purdue was about to put them out. Like that was the first time that yeah. I was like, Whoa. yeah. And I think my producer Bruce is saying that we think you you might be Gen X if you don't want to claim millennials. Do you want to be Gen X? <laughs> I'll take it. Is that good? That sounds I, I good to know. me. I'll take Gen X. I'll take it. I'll take it. Give me all Gen right, X. Well, the millennials on Tony Bennett's roster, yeah. uh, down the stretch, we, the the call, right? We the call is what everybody's gonna remember. Yeah. Um, Virginia and Auburn. As a shooter, Myron, I was like, it's a foul, boo. Like you gotta know better. Like you can't, yeah. you can't be in his face when he comes down and lands. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. All the all the basketball people I know, including you, were like foul. You know what I mean? Like so, I behind me on press row were all these coaches, these legendary coaches, Tubby Smith and John Beeline and Matt Painter and Jim Calhoun and Bo Ryan. So I just kind of went down the road. Monica and was like, what do you think? Every one of them, Monica, was like, foul. And every one yeah. of them said exactly what you just said. Like, Samir Dottie put himself in a bad spot. Like, that's not how you should close out on a shooter with no time on the clock. I think he got a little anxious. You know, you want to you wanna end it on a, on a, you know, you want to punctuate the moment. Um, but everybody I talked to, all the basketball people I talked to, was like, foul every time. Now, the yeah. rest of the people were like, hold on, man. You cannot call that in that moment. And I think that's a lot of the controversy. It wasn't just that people disagreed with the foul. It's that people were going, do you make that call in real time? Because people were, were hitting me up on Twitter being like, how can you say it's not a foul? Like, I'm sitting here courtside, and I only saw it once in real time. That's how I'm not sure, right? Because if it's in front of you and you're not watching replays nonstop like, it's, like you're watching on TV, it was hard to know. I was watching the shooter. Like, I was watching Kyle Guy more than I was watching Samir Dowdy. Right. And I think that, that was a lot of people were doing that as well, like trying to see if the shot went in more than if they were watching if he was fouled or not. Um, it was a foul, people. Like, sorry. It was a foul. But do you call that, though, Monica? Do you make that yeah. call? Yeah, and so, so here's, here's – let me give you a little bit of my background, though. My dad is a ref, right? And so – He's a high school ref, but he's been a ref. That's part of the reason I fell in love with the game, like trotting along with him to games. Um, it's a foul. And like, you have to honor the game, period. Be me as a player, if I'm honoring the game, then I don't, to your point, I don't close out that way in that situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, if, if we start getting into, oh, you can't call that in this moment, then what are we doing? Like that don't, for me as a smart basketball player, if I pump fake and need somebody to foul me, like we can't call that in that moment. And that's exactly what I was working toward. So now you're negating yeah. what I was doing as an offender. So I'm not for the, you can't call it in that, in that moment stuff. Now, what I will say is if the tempo or the feel of a game has been rough and tumble in the last yes. two minutes, all of a sudden you can't go ticky tack. But I felt like that call was, was online with the way that that game was being called now. And I read your article and a lot of folks will say it at first. Uh, if you go back, what three seconds, you go three seconds prior. Yeah. I definitely was like, was that a kickball? Like, that was something, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody talked about the double dribble, which which it was. But, again, in real time, the, the challenge was Auburn's trying to foul. Like, they have a foul to give. So they're trying to foul. And that's what the officials looking at. And I think that's how they missed Ty Jerome double dribbling. But then Virginia fans will say, well, he got fouled before he double dribbled. So it it was a lot of chaos in those final seconds. Refs have a very difficult job, yeah. but I I did feel like that was a really physical game, and I felt like they were let I won't say letting things go, but they were letting them play. 
And I think that was why sort of that call at the end made some people go, man, you're going to call that now? But but even in physical, and you were courtside, and I kind of was, I was obviously watching, not watching on site. I, I feel like it was physical in the paint, maybe, right? Like, I feel like if you hit a shooter, you hit a shooter. Like, nobody had an AM1 and fell out on the ground that didn't get called to me. Is am I am I not remembering something? No, you you are hundred percent. I mean, you're you're right. Like dude, everything that happened was justified. Like right. when, when we were walking back, everybody was like, "That's a foul." But I think the, you know, the idea that I don't know what the way the game was going, Monica. If early in the second half they make that call, like the game just wasn't like there was there was so it was so physical between two teams who were scrapping for everything. Like, you just felt like the refs were just letting them play. It felt like an old Big East or Big Ten game to me. You so, know, and then you have that call at the end. I got you. And it's funny because one of my homegirls, and she was leaving the women's Final Four and ran into an official and was just chatting them up. And they were talking about how, like, they're under scrutiny as well. Like, their bosses are watching. And so, yeah. again, like, all of this comes down to the human element to a degree. But I think if you miss that call in that moment, do you get back to a Final Four as an, as an official as opposed to earlier in the game? Probably not. Yeah, you, you know, know you were hundred. The referees did everything right, and and they were obviously validated uh, at the end of the game. So they they didn't do anything wrong, but Auburn fans are gonna assume they did something wrong for a long time. And and you should like that's the team you bleed for. But believe it yeah. or not, that was the semifinal game, national championship. True. Your Texas Tech protein drinkers <laughs> run into a team of destiny. I mean, what was your biggest takeaway on that one? I just think they surprised us with how good the game was. Because, it was a very good game. I mean, yeah, like going into the game in the media room, people were like first one to 50. That's why, like, there are a whole lot of people coming out now being like, I knew it would be a great game. No, you didn't because I talked to you. You thought it would be a terrible <laughs> game. And then when it was a great game, you changed your mind, right? But a lot of people were saying, like, man, first one to 50? You know, how how is this going to work? And then, Monica, when it was 3-2 at the under-16 timeout, mm-hmm. we're looking around like – oh, my goodness, this is – I mean, this is going to be one of those games. And then they just broke out and started hitting big shots. I mean, the most impressive thing to me was just DeAndre Hunter shooting his way out of that funk he was in. Man. He hadn't played well for three or four games, and he just stuck with it. And you could see his confidence growing with every shot. And for me, you know, to me what separates like great players and, and players who are very good – and you have a better sense of this than I do as somebody who played the game, but like a, a person who can keep shooting in that moment, mm-hmm. even if they've missed the last eight shots, right? They just going to keep going. And that's how DeAndre Hunter was to me. He didn't, he didn't care about the last shots he missed. He was there to make an impact when he needed to. And when he hit that three in the corner, everybody Ooh. knew it was going in. Like nobody doubted that that shot was going in. You just knew because that was the kind of rhythm he had been in. It, it just felt like Virginia was never going to go away, no matter what Texas Tech did uh, to try to make a push. Yeah, that, that I mean, that game, overtime was absolutely fitting. But let me ask you this as a consumer, writer, educated follower of the college basketball game. Do you think we need a review clock? That's always been my pitch. I feel like reviews, like, I'm fine with the review, but if it takes too long, then that's your answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a radical on, on reviews. So he, here's my take on all reviews. You give every, each coach three challenge flags, right? Mm. And they can challenge anything that happens in the game. Judgment calls, you can challenge fouls, out of bounds. You can challenge anything you want uh, three times a game. 
and it's up to you as as a as a coach as to when you want to use those challenge flags. Like to me, the review does take a long time. But to your point earlier about the ref has to make that call in the moment. Right. If my team can win or lose whether or not a call a, a ball went out of bounds or not, you need to take your time and get it right. That's how I'm thinking. So okay. I'm not worried about time the way that a lot of people are. But I do think there has to be some sort of balance. Like if we keep adding reviews, the game's going to take forever. That's why I think we go to a system where you go forget reviews, forget automatic reviews. Let's just have challenge flags. And if you're an official, if you're a coach, you get to challenge three plays a game no matter what they are. Your guy gets fouled. It's not called. Next dead ball, you get to challenge that. And they go back and review it. Like and then what, though? Like, if it was if it was a shooting foul, does did my guy retroactively get to shoot, too? I haven't figured all of that out yet, Monica. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that part, okay? So you're, little, you're on step chapter eight, and I'm still writing chapters one, two, and three, right? I'm just trying that to is figure a real out concern. if I get <laughs> That is a real concern, but I do think that is a better system than what we have now because I think the reviews are just going to get longer and longer because we're going to keep adding new – moments that you can review right and, and that to me is going to be the challenge with just how long the game will take got you got you all right so i gotta get your buckets boards and blocks but before we do that on march madness let's jump into this magic johnson thing um what in the world myron like is this gonna be one of those <laughs> you remember where you were when magic uh snuck in that he was leaving the lakers <laughs> yeah I just, I, I, I just have never heard of an executive calling an impromptu press conference and then legitimately saying in the press conference, somebody better tell my boss I'm leaving. Like what? <laughs> like where, where, what, what is that? How does that happen? So, what, like your boss is watching you quit on TV. I don't understand what happened. And he was so casual about it too. Like he was like dapping people up and hugging people. <laughs> like it, like it felt like, it felt like your uncle had shown up to Thanksgiving and was about to tell everybody off, you know, and then just walk out the door. Like, I'm going to tell you all what's wrong with all of y'all before I never speak to you again. Like, that walk was out. his vibe. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that, it was his vibe. And I I mean, you know the game, Monica. You know, like, how things happen in these situations. I don't believe for one second that we have the whole story. So like, something's it, coming out. So here's, here's, here's my thing. I'm actually more – Inclined, like if I had to put a number on it, I'm, I think I'm like 70, 30 that we do have the whole story. Um, really? And it, it was crazy because one of my homeboys tweeted a video from Dan Lebatar when Magic first got the job. And Dan is just yeah, talking about that. how, you saw it, right? So how yeah. his charisma has carried him to things and it has not necessarily equated success. I think he's very genuine in being a part of the Lakers and having to be the bad guy blocked him from things that he that fuel him to, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And so in 2019, where we're all about chasing our passions and like self-love and like being the most authentic and healthiest version of you, like him in that role is not authentic magic. And I agree with all of that. I mean, I, I think there is, you know, he wants to be able to promote the game and to kind of be mad. He wants to be magic, you know, like that, that's, that's the role he wants to be able to play. However, yeah. However, I have never in my entire career ever. And I've covered a lot of I've covered a lot of people getting fired or resigning. I've never seen someone say, "Hey, look, I I'm so close to my boss that I just can't tell them 
directly. So I'm going to broadcast the mess on TV. I mean, the thing that I took away was he was asked about the backstabbing comment. And he was asked, was it you? You know, did you did you feel like Jeannie thought you were the one? And she, he was like, no, other people in the organization. Obviously, Rob Palenka is his counterpart. Obviously, this is directly tied to him in some way. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, but this is a guy who never once stood up and said, man, Rob is a good dude, and I would love to work with him. There's something going on internally with that franchise that I think goes beyond Magic wanting to be Magic, because I think he could have done this at any point. Like, he could have just – the guy's worth $600 million. He could have walked yeah. away. They would have held a parade for him just for getting LeBron. So for yeah. this to happen so suddenly, I don't know. For me, the journalist in me says there is another shoe that will drop at some point. And you're probably right, but I I think the, I don't know how closely tied to to Magic the other shoe will be though. Like I feel you, like there's more to it, but I still think that his primary thing is like this ain't for me. And maybe the muck of free agency in the summer is just about to ratchet up the next to the next level. Um, yeah. and we'll find out that he was tampering in more ways that we haven't yet already found out already. I don't know, um, <laughs> but I, I do think that a big chunk of this was Magic wanted to be Magic. All right, but. Myra, you think it was disrespectful? You... Did you think it was disrespectful real quick that, that he didn't tell Jeannie? When he talked to Rachel, I understood. But at first I was like, dog, that's unprofessional. Like, send yeah. her an email if you can't talk to her. Yeah, but when he yeah. said to Rachel, I don't know how many other people feel like my boss is my sister. Although my yeah. sister would have been like, dog, like, I quit. Like, bye. Yeah, but anyway. That's what I'm saying. I would call my brother. <laughs> All right, so I need your bucket, board, and block of March Madness. So a bucket is a dope thing. A board is like a rebound, something maybe with some silver lining to it. And then your block is your big bah. That just that what that didn't work this year. So what's your bucket, board, and block, Myron, from March Madness 2019? Uh my my bucket has to be Carson Edwards to me, um against Tennessee and, and sending that game into overtime from the corner like that. I mean, that to me is just pure March Madness and having the confidence to do that in in that moment. Like what what amazes me when you talk about like elite basketball players and what folks who don't understand the game or follow it, what they don't get is the instincts of some of these players. And like the fact that you can catch it in that moment and just shoot it like that because you've taken a million of those shots, it just that was amazing to me. And that might have been the best game of the whole tournament to me. Um, so that was my bucket. Carson that was in the corner for sure. I like that. Uh, my board was probably something subtle that a lot of people didn't realize, but in the national championship game, uh, down the stretch, there was a fight for a loose ball, uh, as Virginia's trying to take the lead late and, uh, Mamadi Diakite does sort of a Dennis Rodman. I mean, he's like around four guys and kind of taps it to himself to secure the rebound. Like the old school NBA fan uh-huh. of me loved that. <laughs> because it was it was so like he had to outsmart everybody around him. He could he couldn't just go up like he normally would, or he wouldn't have grabbed the rebound. But the whole Dennis Robin tapping it to himself a few times just to get the the right angle to secure the ball. Like when I see a guy fighting for plays like that, that to me is what makes Virginia a champion. When you have a guy like that who's like I got to get this rebound, no matter what. Um, and a block, you saying sort of a dull moment or something that maybe didn't yeah, work? Yeah, disappointing, didn't work, whatever. I, so whether you agree it was a foul or not, I just wish Virginia Auburn would have ended without controversy. 
I got you. Like, like to me, I just wish because that was a great finish. Auburn made a great run, and Virginia pulled it out. And then you get Kyle Guy going to the free throw line and making three free throws with .6 seconds on the clock to seal the win. Like, that should be the story of that amazing run. And instead, it was controversy. Um, so that's the one thing that I, I guess, wish had not happened uh, in that particular game. I like that. I like all of those. Um, did Carson Edwards earn himself a spot in the first round and maybe lottery? I don't think he's not a lottery guy. Where's he going? No, he's some, would you take him? I mean, I think I'd take him. I mean, the back of the I, first round. I think I would take him in the first round because only because like Steph, right? Like this yeah. is where we are in the game of basketball. Steph, not even just Steph anymore. What's my man in Atlanta? Um, Oklahoma. Trey Young. Trey yeah, Young. Like, yeah, he's he's balling. If, if now, yeah. not if my organization can afford it, though, I will say that. Yes, he's gonna. He needs to be around, you know, a, a good point guard. I think, um, but I think Carson Edwards can can play at the next level, and I think he earned that spot. Yeah, back in sure, the first round. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Myron, thank you for joining us. Um, if y'all don't follow Myron on socials, you got to do that. Read his work. Um, I appreciate you being on the inaugural podcast, bro. I'm I'm honored to be a a guest. I appreciate it. Hands down, man down. Okay, guys. So. On Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, the backstory is there would be no Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, at least not hosted by me, if not for my dad. So one of the staples of my show is going to be having my dad do a wrap-up with me toward the end. Um, I fell in love with basketball, tagging along with him to high school basketball games. He's been a high school official as long as I can remember. And then I very vividly remember sitting in the floor watching Duke with Jay Williams and Shane Battier and J.J. Redick, like, and us having these dynamic basketball conversations. So, Pops, I guess welcome to the show, Dad. Thank you. <laughs> glad, to, glad to be with you, baby. Um, super excited. So, here's the deal, right? We all took in the NCAA tournament. The biggest wow. talking point has been the Auburn-Virginia finish. I, as a shooter, you know, we worked on shooting all my career. Like, that's a foul. No you can't fall into my you – you just can't do that. Um, right. You're a ref. But I guess, and Myron made a good point, Dad. He was like, do you call that in that moment, right? So talk to me about, like, moments for officials, I guess. Is that even really a thing, or you just got to call it how it is? First of all, moments, that's just what you say. That. Moments are what people have put to the game. Like, you don't call it, let the kids decide the game. I, I don't know where all that came from. It came from spectators or fans. From a referee standpoint, a foul is a foul, whether it's in the first 30 seconds, right before the half, or, in that case, last second shot. Very easy to call. There's a rule that most people don't talk about, whether it's a saying in, 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 among referees, is that protect the shooter. Protect the shooter. And that is, that is not just for like, giving him a fair attempt to shoot the ball, but also because he's up in the air and he's very vulnerable on a layup, on a jump shot. So it is a motto. It is an axiom. Whatever you want to choose, protect the shooter. And if you look at the tape, uh, guys up in the air, Kyle guys up in the air, and he takes, and he takes his legs out of him. And um, that's a call. Very, very easy call, uh, regardless of the time and situation of the ball game. You, you make that call anytime. He took his legs out from him. Case closed. Boom. Case closed. Just yeah. like that. I mean, and, and, and it really is with referees because we blow our whistle, you have a foul, or you don't. And, and it's not subject to change. Oh, no, now you've got with the reviews and all that. You can, you can overturn some things. But by and large, on a foul call, you blow the whistle, you, you enforce the rule. Um, so I had no problem with the call. I saw it. And, and to that young man's credit, that is something that is 
no matter how much you drill into a kid, uh, close out on a shooter, don't follow a three-point shooter. And I'm sure that Bruce Pearl told a young man, hey, or told all of them, don't foul him. Instinctively, you just close out. No, I mean, Dad, I know. No, you disagree no. with that? I mean, instinctively, you close out, but you got to understand that moment. Like, that's time and score AAU that you and Coach Gary drilled into my head all those years. Like, yes, you close out, but you don't jump. That's the highest hand you could possibly give on right. your two feet. Right. But instinctively, he, he, uh, this fundamentals broke down. And he got, cause if you look at it, he's trying to, he was trying. He had his hands out. He didn't contest the shot up top. And, and he was trying to try to his best to avoid it. But instinctively, last second of the game to go to the Final Four or go to the uh, Monday night, whatever the uh, situation was, he, you know, he just you – know, and, and he brushed him, but enough to uh, get into his legs and, and alter the shot. So, yeah. so <laughs> alas, it'll go down right. in NCAA history. Yes. <laughs> yes, okay. it is. Um, all right. So, what about – was it a kickball beforehand, a double dribble? Double dribble. I mean, we're talking double about moments. Press. Double right. dribble. Right. How do you miss that right. though, Dad? Like that was pretty obvious. Um, one thing um, you, you shouldn't miss it. Just like I said, if you blow you, you blow your whistle, you enforce it. Same with that. You should not miss it. There are twelve refs that were assigned to the Final Four and Monday night's championship game. They were based on merit uh, and, and selection uh, for their work during the course of the season. Uh, you have four referees, three at the game, one at the table in case somebody gets hurt there's alternate. So there's 12 referees that were selected to do the games. Uh, they are the best of the best for this year, although you can always go in everything that in the selection process is politics and so forth and so on. But by and large, these are supposed to be the best of the best from the, from the year's work and are selected to advance just like the teams. So they should not miss it. They should not miss it. There was a referee so- there that was five feet away, and the second referee was at half court where the play basically happened. Those two are responsible. The third referee who ended up calling the foul on the jump shot um, was um, um, down, down at the other baseline, so he didn't have a responsibility. But the, the two referees there, one in the back court that was following the play as he drove up the court, and the one in the half court, neither one of those guys should have missed that call. And they're, and they're hmm. my brothers, but <laughs> fair is fair. Is that, right is right. But is that one of those things that like gets you uninvited? Like how does how does that even merit system even work? And we gotta wrap this up, but now I'm like curious. <laughs> Uninvited, what, what, you missed me. Like you, you, you move on based on merit. If you blow something like that, do you like are you no longer merited? Well, I, mean, I guess. To, no, no, you're at the final four, and um, money money night's crew was already established, so that their their season oh, was okay. over. Um, the, the the question was will they be back and it probably will I mean if they're good referees I mean <laughs> we're not perfect you know referees we're expected to be perfect and get better <laughs> you know what I'm saying so you're uh, certainly not perfect <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's why if, if the referee if he's a good referee puts it behind them and moves on both of them they'll be back they they, they are talented referees mm, got it mm, all right mm. well appreciate that Dad. Yeah. This is amazing. You know, you know, this is something else. You know, in, in, in our town, Washington, D.C., where we grow up, I was a, uh, you know, I, I had a story career as a high school player, went to college in the area, referee for 30 years. Oh, now God, here Monica we go. Dad. What is this all about? This is amazing. I mean, I, I appreciate you. I love you, too. All right. Well, um, <laughs> next week, same time next week. Yes, ma'am. Bye, Dad. Bye-bye. Man. We had some good combos on this show. I'm really proud of this one as our inaugural show. I hope that 
you are enjoying as listeners. But I want to wrap it up with my buckets, boards, and block for the week. My bucket goes to Kyle Korver of the Utah Jazz and the piece that he did for the Players' Tribune called Privilege. If you have not read it, I implore you to check it out. Kyle took an incredibly thoughtful approach to that piece. And I, for one, appreciate him acknowledging privilege and then speaking honestly about his process as he watched his close teammates go through some things that are just unfortunately common amongst Black Americans. So I really appreciate him delving into that topic, especially in the climate that we're all in right now. Um, My board is going to be all the guys retiring. Like, shout out to D. Wade, Dirk Nowinski, who have made it official. Um, What tremendous careers. Oh, also got to mention Jamal Crawford dropping 51, although I don't think he's retiring. Might be soon, but he's not retiring this year. Um, Tremendous careers from both of those guys. It's kind of sad to see them right off into the sunset, but they gave us lots of basketball to love for sure. Um, My block, I'm so happy I don't have a block right now. Uh, I think, I guess my block might be the whole Lakers situation this week. I do think that at the bottom of Magic's heart, he really just wants to go and be free to be himself. But Myron's probably right that there's more going to come down to the story. And it might get a little uncomfortable in La La Land more than it already is. So that would be my block. Um, And of course, a bucket would have to be the first show in the books. I had a blast. I hope you'll stick with me, engage with me on social. I want to talk about hoops the way that you talk about hoops so that we can all have a fantastic conversation together. Um, I got to thank the team. Thanks to the Pure Hoops media team, my producer, Bruce Bernstein, editor, Ben Wolfen, and everybody who's been listening to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Also to my incredible guests, Lisa Byington and Myra Metcalf and Pops, who's rolling with me. Thanks, Dad. Love you. Uh, Remember to check out our other weekly shows, The Mike Wise Show, each Monday, Catch and Shoot with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov each Wednesday, The Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman each Friday. Please, please, please subscribe, download, listen, rate, review, and most of all, enjoy. See you next week. I'm Monica McNutt. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 